Hi, and welcome to the Irana Hills Church of Christ podcast. We hope this message from Pastor AJ Hines brings you closer to knowing God, finding freedom in Him, and understanding what He has in store for you and your community. To learn more about Irana Hills Church of Christ, head to aranahills.church. We hope you enjoy this message. Any Pink Floyd fans? Yes. Confession time. <laughs> so good. I don't know about you, but clocks make me anxious. And uh, we're going to practice a bit of silence later today, and we'll actually be able to hear all the clocks behind me if you're in the front. Maybe you've got good hearing at the back. Um, so good to have you. If you're a guest here, uh, we hope we don't annoy you too much this morning. And uh, we're having a new conversation that we've actually, it's not that new, we've been having it for a couple of weeks, and, um, but we're escalating it a bit, we're picking up our tone, and uh, for the next six weeks or so, we're going to be speaking about unhurry. And our goal really is that people would listen to God, have a relationship with Him, and, and surrender their pace of life to Him. And we're convinced that they're probably going to move slower when they do that not faster. Uh, Most of our anxieties sit in the moments when we do things fast, when we rush, when we're in a hurry. Uh, Most of our good decisions are not made in those spaces. They're made when we are calm, we center on God and His plan for our lives. And so we're excited about this journey. Many of our small groups are in a 10-week Um, journey this term as they're continuously having this discussion watching the online content that we've linked in and um, so I want to invite you if you haven't done so already go into our website you can find all the content there and so you can work at it individually at your pace but it's almost always better when you do things in community because then uh, your shadows are revealed when people point out the obvious that you so often don't even see and so I want to invite you to do that with us this term. Um, we're inspired by this series. In the beginning of the year, someone gave me a book um, called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. The irony of it uh, is that this person was not practicing any of the things in the book. <laughs> and probably that's why they gave it to me, because I don't either. And uh, so I was thanking them for that little gift. And um, so, but it has really challenged me. And in the beginning of the year, then our team uh, decided to journey through it and to read a little bit every week. And we've been integrating some of the practices in our daily walk. It's all based on Jesus and the way that he lived and moved around when he was here on earth. But then really recalibrating ourselves to that pace is going to be super important. Uh, And then I really noticed that there are so many other books that I've been reading over the years that are communicating very similar things and themes Uh, discipleship 
content. And really, when we follow the way of Jesus to be his apprentice, uh, we're actually not just taking on uh, what he said, but how he said it, how he did it, and how he lived it out. And um, this is going to be important for us as we navigate our time together over the next couple of weeks. So it's not so much the content of what the preacher man is saying here up front, and it's not so much the way that I'm saying or the fact that I'm sitting down. I am drinking a chamomile tea this morning. That is one of my favorite, but it does calm me down significantly. And um, I'm just conscious of the fact that I might drop it on my laptop here. I've been told I'm not allowed to move this morning by the team because I like moving around. So I'm just going to sit here. Is that okay? Okay. Maybe not. Our core text for this conversation then is out of Matthew, and we know this one. If you're a Message Bible fan, Eugene Peterson specifically concentrated when he wrote this scripture, because I remember it every time. And it reads the following. Are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me, he says. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Isn't that a beautiful word right there? I think when I read it every single time, I feel like that's the type of life that I desire. A free and a light one. And every time it asks me that question, it's inviting me to respond. And every time I read it, I feel tired, <laughs> worn out, burnt out on religion. We like picking on that religion part of that question more than we do examining our own lives and rhythms. It's easy to blame the church for our weariness. And often the church has been not necessarily a stream of living water, but it's been a burden on our consciousness. But we forget about the moments when we do have control in our own homes, in our lifestyles, in the way we drive, any any violent drivers in the room. You're one person, the moment you get behind that wheel, you're a race car driver, trying to beat the GPS, any confession in the house, no? You can never beat it because it readjusts all the time, you know that? (laughs) I still believe I can sometimes, but I had, um, I've had three speeding tickets this year. Two of them were those cars that my wife was driving. <laughs> but she knows when she is where, and so every time she's been able to prove that it was me, and we've been able to switch it over, and then I get the demerit points. I'm like, so what about taking one for the team? Isn't that why you get married? She still has all her demerit points. It's unfair. Um, One of the phrases that's been popping out for us is that you can't go slow fast. Often when you read something that's really deeply true and it resonates in your heart, you just want to implement it. The, The thing is with books like these is they give you great little solutions and you just want to grab your calendar and readjust and delete everything and, you know, throw away your television, get a flip phone. How good would that be? Or 3310 Nokia, get one of those things that never break. Its battery runs for five months at a time, over-exaggerating a little bit. And 
we often have that reaction, but actually I think that if we truly want to move slowly and do that consistently over time, we need to take our time in implementing the things that create that environment. At the same time, I'm convinced that it's not just a practice for us as individuals. Often we really um, individualize the gospel and the message that it has when it was really written for a corporate setting. It was about the whole body readjusting, about the whole body aligning. It was salvation is a cosmic term. It included all of humanity, but somehow we've just personalized, individualized this whole thing. And I think as a faith community, we need to not just agree on things, but we need to practice them together. And so I have a hope that over the course of the next few months and the rest of the year, that we would land on certain convictions that would change the way we gather, change the way we come together. See, I think often we are, we marry the model of church that we prefer and we date the mission of God. But I think we are here to marry, commit ourselves to the mission and date the model. Date the way, not the model like modeling clothes. Okay, just readjusting your thoughts this morning. We date the way that we do church and the way that we engage. And obviously we do that in community and by agreement and all that stuff. So it's not mandated from the top down. But really, we should resemble Jesus, not just individually, but corporately. So when a non-believer comes into our world, they would say that, hey, these guys are different. So they're a bit weird, but they're different. They move slower. There's a patience to them. There's a peace to the way they speak, they move. And very much so, it is very countercultural to do that in the world that we are in today. So this morning, we're going to help identify and diagnose this illness that is among us of hurry. Probably if you think that you don't have it, you do. And we're going to help you discover that. And uh, I've often heard that people who are retired are way busier than ever. Is that true? Yeah, I don't know. Like if you've retired, you have that saying, I'm busier than ever. I don't have any control of my schedule. If only I can go back to that job I did for 40 years where I clocked in and I clocked out and there was no expectation on my time, but now you're a grandparent and the requests are coming through hard and fast. Can you babysit, please? We need you. Um, can you have a cup of tea? Can you come and help? Can you do this and do that? So I don't think it's specifically towards any generation, but certainly towards us in this room. We have to recognize that we have a problem. I have a problem. I really do. <laughs> I've got a lot of problems, many of whom I can't discuss here on stage, but I'm getting some professional help for. <laughs> it's not a joke. <laughs> we idolize our leaders. We start following them, and we, we want them to live out the lives that we struggle to live out ourselves. And it's one of our problems we have. We think that other people are paid to live the way that we are meant to live. And so leaders, one of the lies we need to get past, are not perfect. I know it's hard to believe, but we're not. We don't have great discipline all the time. We struggle to read our Bibles. Man, I struggle to read my Bibles. Some of those Old Testament books, I, it's a great tool to get me to fall asleep. It really is. <laughs> Is that bad to say? I don't know. It makes me sleep. I can't concentrate, especially when I read it at night. I really have to be creative in terms 
Of that, sometimes my prayers make me fall asleep. Is it just me? Okay. It's not just that, it's the fact that I am addicted to some of the things that are great gifts to us, to some of the technologies that we are surrounded with, I have, um, which would be socially acceptable addictions. It's not great travesties and big things that you know you'd be locked up for, but it's those subtle ones. It's the little busy elements in our life that that edge in and take control of it. It poisons us from the inside, and as we move, we almost have this missional drift. We think we're okay. We can cope. We can always change our life, but then one day you turn around and you look, and you've drifted so far away from the Lord, from your family, from yourself. You don't even know where you are. You're so preoccupied in getting things done. Your activity defines your identity. And that's not of God. Our identity is secure in him. Our identity uh, precedes our activity. We need to move from who we truly are into the future that God has for us. Often, You'd see people have great implosions, emotional despair when they lose their jobs. The reason for that is they've connected their identity to their activity. What has defined them has been taken away. And so we sit in a season where COVID has come as this great pandemic of our time that we will never forget and we will remember always and reference on the clock as 2020. And furthermore, the risk is is that we don't see the opportunity that it creates for us. You know? And when lockdowns come, we immediately think of the things we're going to miss out on when we're locked down, like the gym and shopping. My boy calls it shoppings. Alpha calls it shop. He puts an S on. I don't know why. He loves shoppings because he always gets something. Um, and it's those things that we miss. And we, what we're actually missing is the opportunity to realign our lives around what really matters. The risk is that we'll make small little adaptations as individuals and as organizations and as groups of believers that really aren't different at all. How sad would it be if we go through a COVID season and the only adjustment that we as a faith community have made is to go online? Radical. (laughs) Next level ingenuity right there. It's good that we're online. We should have done that a while ago. (laughs) But is it possible that we could question every shape and form of our coming together in a way that gives God glory and that bears good Fruit, and if it doesn't bear good fruit, hey, chop it off. Do you agree? Yeah, some of us, okay. I want to invite Ruth up to come and join me. My, I think we're friends, Ruth. I think I, I own that space. It's my good friend. Come and join us. Ruth is in my small group in the week. We have a bit of a drive on our way. She sorts me out if I have a bad attitude. Ruth has more energy than most people I know. Good, Ruth, you're good? Okay. Ruth has a story to tell us. Ruth, don't you want to share with us what you shared with me the other day? I think most of you know that I was a professional musician. And 
Three years ago, I was invited by the Australian Youth Orchestra to go to a concert here in Brisbane, at which Ray Chen, one of our Brisbane violinists, was playing the Sibelius Violin Concerto. So in the morning, I went to the rehearsal, which I quite enjoyed, and then in the evening, I went to the concert. Now, the Sibelius Violin Concerto, which was written in the late 1800s, is very difficult, and it's one of the pieces of music I could never get my fingers around because I've got very small hands, and it's very difficult to play. So I was looking forward to hear a virtuoso playing this beautiful piece of music. And I sat there, and I was horrified. He played it so fast, there was no music in it. It was wonderful technical perfection. There wasn't a note wrong. I couldn't fault a note. But I think he took five minutes off the playing time in all, probably. <laughs> so when I came out of that concert at the end, I went home, switched on the computer, got into YouTube, and found the oldest recording of one of the very, very famous um, musicians of about the 1940s. And I sat in front of YouTube listening to that concerto all over again. And that, to me, is what's happening in the music life today. In my last few years of playing as a musician, I had to play Beethoven's Seventh Symphony quite frequently. And for a first violinist, the last movement of that symphony is quite taxing. And the last time I played it, I remember my right arm virtually dropping off because of the speed at which we had to play the last movement. Now, all these pieces of music were written in an era where people had time. There was no hurry. There was no reason to prove that you could get all these notes wrong. Right. There was the reason that you had to make music. And they had plenty of time to do that. They sat around in environments, something like we're in church today, at tea parties, listening to this music, and they had time. And they listened, and it was beautiful. Sadly, that's not what it is today. And unfortunately, I don't go to concerts anymore because I find that, especially the old classical music, people are in too much of a hurry to get through it, to get to the end of it, to show how good they are. But that's not what it's about. It should be about listening to it, taking it in. And it's just the same as hurry in our lives unfortunately. So that's the story I wanted to share to you about this unhurry business. Let's sit back and savour it all and not just get to the end of it as quickly as we can. How good is that? Very good. I think I can stop. <laughs> Ruth did such a good job. I just asked you to share the story, but you started preaching, Ruth. <laughs> now I know. <laughs> Above expectations. Thank you, Ruth. I wonder how many of elements in your life are similar to what she just described. Uh, I think you know you have hurry sickness when... Um, slow things irritate you. My children are slow. 
they irritate me. One of the, um, in general, but one of the great pains of my life is being late. I hate being late. So we had three children. Now we're always late. But they slow you down, and I think it's one of the gifts that we miss in our kids. So how do we diagnose hurry? Why is it even important? Dallas Willard, the great writer and author and thinker, once called hurry the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. I think this is 20 years ago. Um, And said you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. That is the solution. Corrie ten Boom, a little bit, little bit back in the day. If the devil cannot make us bad, he will make us busy. Typically, the thing that people ask each other on the deck is, how you going? Busy. I'm busy, busy, busy. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. We decided the other day as a team to go on a team retreat. And some of you know the story, but... Uh, we put some suggestions in the hat and I thought, wow, what a great opportunity to pick a nice hotel somewhere in the city next to the river. There'd be good coffee around. You wouldn't even have to look, walk far. You just smell for it. And you could just move into the room. You just, the first thing I do is I kick off my shoes and then I open my bag and then I lay on the bed and then I take a shower and that's just in the first few minutes. And everything's just available, you know. And the good hotels, you don't even have to make it. It's just like an espresso or something. It's just there. You just drop it in. And it just froths up and it just enlivens your world. All those things. And if you need a meal, you just pick up the phone. or you just, These days you just tap it and you just say, I want this. I want a Reuben sandwich with a little bit of extra mustard. And I want, um, I want, I want, and then I want a milkshake. And give me two extra things. And so I like that type. That's a good break for me is going to a hotel. I really like hotels a lot but the team decided all of them that they wanted to go camping there's a photo day one Dave's boots got wet and so you had to hang them do you still have them Dave I don't know I think we burnt them they were old boots so we went camping. Luckily, we had someone on the team with brains, Darren, and he organized a camper van for me and him. So we, can, we camped. Is it camping? We, is it? It is camping. Yeah, we, can. we didn't have to spoon at two separate beds. I was disappointed. Maybe he was disappointed. <laughs> I think he was disappointed at night when that diesel engine started running <laughs> and I started snoring. I think that definitely disappointed Darren. He went to bed earlier every night. Um, but isn't camping good? They, I think they converted me. They nearly converted me. The good thing was we had Dave. There's some more photos. He was eating. Dave made a sausage something. The one night it was spectacular. It was better than it sounds. And um, the good thing is Dave's got this van that has everything in that you would ever need if you're alone in the bush. And so that helps. That really does help. I think they converted me. The greatest gift about camping, of course, is that fireplace, isn't it, when you sit in front of it. 
and you start smoking yourself. <laughs> you get home. I think Corinda smelled me like a half an hour away from getting back. All my clothes were just reeking of smoke. How good is that? There's something calming about camping. It really does challenge you. But more so even than that, it helps you recognize that you're living at a pace that you're not meant to. So you recalibrate, maybe not the first day, but the second or the third or the fourth one. And I think then we left. We didn't stay long enough. Something changes within you. You never exit the same way you enter. It's not that you become lazy. It's that you slow down. And luckily we were not that far away from, you know, civil society. We were like in touch. So see that? There were some treats, some reward, the team knew. But that, that's me in the swing with Dave. Freedom. You see that image of Titanic right there, can't you? you see that? <laughs> Calmed me down. But somehow, as I was on this campground, I just knew that if I'm going to come back, I'm coming back to a storm. I don't know what it is when you go away. You're just nervous about coming back. Something's going to go crazy because everything's so fast. It was a crazy week. All the kids were sick. Cars broke. Anyway, we had a lot of drama. Uh, But I decided the other day to take out my phone. Tyler gave this great suggestion, and it's brought me some pain. But I want to invite you to do the same. If you you have an iPhone, maybe you have an iPhone, you have a Samsung or some smartphone of some degree, there's a little setting. So you go to settings, and then you go to screen time. You know screen time? And then you open screen time, and it gives you a breakdown of your phone usage across. Don't look at mine. Look at yours. Of your phone usage during the week or the day or whatever setting you choose. If you click on see activity, it actually breaks down the apps that you use the most and how much time you spend on them. And then you can target a day or a week. It gives you a general use result. This is one of my weeks. Average use per day, 10 hours and 12 minutes on my phone. Now, I just want to defend myself. I listen to Spotify a lot. I bought myself some noise-canceling earphones the other day. They're definitely worth it. Isn't it bad, though, that we have to buy earphones that cancels out the noise so we can fill our ears with some other noises? (laughs) I often fall asleep with music because I struggle to calm down. Anyone else in the room? No? In that category? I need to listen. And I listen to the same music because it creates something in me. I think it's a problem. I have a problem. I have a problem with general use. I do use my phone for all my work, all my study, all my business stuff like banking and transfers and buying and shopping. One of the greatest gifts in our life is actually becoming one of our biggest Problems And don't get me wrong, I celebrate the fact that I have this device. It's probably the thing that I'll grab if there's a fire. After my children. <laughs> and, and then my wife after my... <laughs> then I thought, well, if there's a lockdown week, isn't that a great opportunity to just 
cut yourself off from technology because you don't really need it. You're at home. You're not allowed to go anywhere else. All your family's there, all your loved ones, those children who celebrate you and worship you and serve you, that wife that edifies and amplifies and celebrates your very existence. Isn't it a great time to just be home and spend some time? I'm probably not going to use my phone in a lockdown week. I was lying to myself because the next week, I went to 13 hours and 54 minutes. This was in lockdown a week and a half ago. Nearly a third more. (laughs) Was I trying to avoid them, Steph? I think I was. (laughs) I mean, I loved them, but I had so much to do, to plan, to navigate in my life. I hope my confessions here this morning doesn't just change your view of me. And well, I receive the rebuke. Come at me afterwards, please do. My team is. But may you look at your own life. Yes, it's different. You have different rhythms. Some of you might not have a smartphone. That's fine. But when you queue up at the shopping center, do you pick the short queue or the long one? And when service is slow, do you rebuke the cashier? The other day I went to a KFC and there were three older ladies standing in front of me. It is the most time I've spent in my life at a takeaway shop waiting for these three ladies. Each one of them did not have the right change. The one's phone didn't actually work, so the facial recognition didn't work, and someone had to come and help her. It took ages, and I was on my way. I had to grab something. There was an order from the family, and I was going to be late, and that was causing my meeting later to be late, and I had this internal tension that I wanted to scream at them (laughs) to go quicker. Is it possible that you could be moving any slower in this moment? It was ridiculous. They got their orders wrong. Then they changed their orders. Oh, actually, I don't really feel like that, the one said. I, I think I'll have the tenders. Is, are they good? How's the ten, What oil? Did you change the oil today? <laughs> they never change the oil. Don't even ask that. You come on, you who's worked at a takeaway shop? <laughs> you change the oil in your car more frequently than the KFC changes their oil. It's probably cleaner as well. The first step in the 12-step program to solve addiction is honesty. After many years of denial, recovery can begin with one simple admission of being powerless over alcohol or any other drug a person is addicted to. Their friends and family may also use this step to admit their loved one has an addiction. Back in the day, it was just workaholics. Just couldn't wait to get the work done. You were addicted to busy. How good would it be if you'd rather be addicted to God or addicted to other human beings? Not in a weird way, like your family, the ones closest to you. We're addicted to wellness, we're addicted to the spirit of God. In the quote, a quote in The Long Obedience in the Same Direction by Eugene Peterson, one of my favorite books on discipleship, he says the following, a person has to be thoroughly disgusted with the way things are to find the motivation to set out on the Christian way. 
As long as we think the next election might eliminate crime and establish justice or another scientific breakthrough might save the environment or another pay rise can have a witness might push us over the edge of anxiety into a life of tranquility, we are not likely to risk the arduous uncertainties of the life of faith. Faith, hope and love do not thrive in hurry. They operate in peace. A person has to get fed up with the ways of the world before he, before she acquires an appetite for the world of grace. You see, I think, we'll get back to the scripture here, we have a problem because we're not identifying the issues in our life. And the things that distract us on the smallest, minutest ways. The things that lure us into a false sense of security. These are the things that ultimately trip us up. It's not the big things that everyone sees and identifies. It's the little things that we make room for in our life that break down our spirituality. It's what we pay attention to that forms us and then becomes us. Because what you give your attention, says John Markoma, the author of this little book that kick-started this journey, is the person you become. Put another way, the mind is the portal to the soul. And what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you gave your attention to. That bodes well for those apprentices of Jesus who give the bulk of their attention to him and to all that is good, beautiful, and true in this world. But not for those who give their attention to the 24-7 news cycle of outrage and anxiety and emotionally charged drama or the non-stop feed of celebrity gossip, titillation, and cultural drive, as if we give it in the first place. Much of it is stolen by a clever algorithm out to monetize our precious attention. Your devices are not your friend. <laughs> They're drawing you empty of something and you're allowing it to happen and I'm first in the queue. But again, we become what we give our attention to for better or worse. The activity this morning is very simple. As we identify the problem next week, we'll talk about the solution. And I think the gospel and Jesus is absolutely the solution to all of our issues. Now, it doesn't mean we don't need to work it through in community. <laughs> Listen, you can't just read the gospel and everything just changes for you without the help of the Holy Spirit and other people. Those are vital ingredients that you discover that you are in Christ, but that Christ is in you and Christ is in you in the context of community. Those are the things that help to change your life forever. He says in the beginning of this text, in the message it's a question. In the other translations, it's an invitation and a statement. Come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened. And then 
Some of the meaning is by religious rituals that provide no peace. We like to blame religion, but I think that is birthed in the place where we lean on our own strength and our sense of achievement and accomplishment, on our ability to fix our own lives. Those are the things that burn us out. That we believe for any one moment that a transactional method will achieve anything substantial in our life. When we are invited into relationship. When it talks about the yoke later on, it's that you are yoked with Jesus. That the mature, spiritually mature, are actually setting the pace to train you in his way. They would put the older, stronger beast on the other side and that would help you move forward. It's, you see, the reality is you can't do this on your own. In fact, I don't even think you can be a Christian on your own. You need relationship. Transactional religion will burn you to the ground. A transactional life will ruin you. Where everything leans on your performance. Are you tired today, now, in this moment? And not just because we're having a long conversation. Are you tired? Are you burnt out? Are you frazzled? I had this image this morning of a bride. And we're the bride of Christ, right? Standing at the back of the aisle. Now I've been to me, I've done a few weddings. Have you ever seen a frazzled bride? It's a scary sight. When that mascara is running down her cheeks and it's heading towards this white dress, it is... The fear of the Lord. <laughs> if you're doing, Corinda used to do their makeup. It was terrifying. These brides are so anxious because everything leans on the celebration and everything has to be perfect and all my plans and all the money that my dad paid for this thing to work and it needs to be perfect. I've had this dream my whole life and everything's just going to work out. And every wedding I've been to, something goes wrong. Every wedding, something goes wrong. Sometimes significant things. It's all significant in the eyes of the bride. <laughs> I've just had this image of a frazzled bride, an anxious bride. She's biting her nails. She's got a tick and she's not confident. She's not in the moment. She's not present. I wonder if the church is there. We're anxious and we're frazzled and we're confused and our gatherings are changing and the world is changing, but we just want to make it, we just want to go back to how it was. Well, I've got news. It's both good and bad news. It's not going to go back. This is not. The world is changing all the time. God's doing a new thing. If we're addicted to resurrecting the old, we will miss what he's doing in our midst and in ourselves. You'll miss what God's doing in you. That's a tragedy. That's something to think about. Are you spiritually alive? Usually measure it by the way that you live, the way you engage with others, the, the things you see, the small details you notice in other people when the Spirit is speaking to you. The desire to know God, to know more of God, to know God's character, what God is truly like, to have a relationship that isn't based purely on rhythms and alarm clocks, you know. When you're 5 a.m., I have to read my Bible, alarm clock goes off. But the deep desire to speak and be with Jesus, 
to sit with God? Are you convinced of how loved you are? I think that's the big question. Because I think if we were, it would change a lot of things. We wouldn't lean so deeply on our rhythms and our understanding and our performance. And so this morning, we're going to have communion together in an unhurried way. And I hope you have your elements with you. Maybe in the next few weeks, we'll invite the children to have communion with us a couple of times. Because I don't think an unhurried life is necessarily a quiet life all the time. There are different rhythms and times, but it's about being quiet and being peaceful when it's difficult to do so. And we'll create those environments for us. But this morning, imagine for a moment that you're taking a meal that was created for you to pause and to reflect and to remember. That requires time, requires patience, it requires a little bit of silence. Imagine for a moment that this meal was birthed out of this incredible moment that changed the course of history. And the very person in which this is formulated is not somewhere out there on a cloud watching you perform a religious ritual, but it's Jesus in the flesh sitting right next to you. Imagine for a moment that the person next to you isn't a brother or a sister or a wife or a sibling or a, imagine that it's Jesus. I would think that I would imagine that Jesus would walk into this room and come and sit next to me on this couch. You'd probably have non-believers laughing at you a lot, but imagine that for a moment. God walks in. He's, He's actually in our midst, you know. And then he sits in next to us. He says, okay. He doesn't say anything. He just looks at us. How would he look at you? If you're face to face with Jesus, how would God look at you? I think we'd probably read his facial expressions pretty closely, wouldn't we? Like, you'd really narrow in on their face. Would it be a frown? Would would Jesus frown at you? He sat next to you. Are you dissatisfied with you? Would he shout repentance over you? Or would he look at you with pure, unmerited favor and love and compassion? Would Jesus look at you and say, I just I wish you were convinced of how loved you are. I wish you I wish you had peace. I wish you knew that I love you just as you are, not as you should be. Because a future version of you doesn't exist. I, I want you as you are, just here, sitting here. I wonder what God would look like. And I wonder if I would take communion differently. If the one that caused this whole practice sat next to me. Let's pray and then we'll take communion together. Father, Father God, such a privilege to even just think of it, never mind actually experiencing. Maybe that's it this morning. Maybe 
Maybe we don't have to imagine anything this morning. Maybe you're here, Lord. So I don't have to imagine you sitting next to me, but you are. And maybe you're not as dissatisfied as, as my father was with me. Maybe you don't critique me in the same way that I critique myself. Maybe you don't pour guilt and shame over me as the enemy tries to accuse and convince me of my rotten, dirty behavior that separates me from the Lord. Maybe, Lord, you showed us how convinced you are on the cross. And this morning as I take communion, I can recognize that you have completed, finished the work and that you are fully convinced of what you think of me. And oh, how that changes as I sit here next to you, Lord, because I now can be convinced of the same. I start believing what you believe. And I start feeling what you feel. Oh Lord, how would I even enter the space this morning and not be convinced of your goodness? Why would I doubt, Lord, that you would even have a smile when you are with me? Maybe this morning the Lord is just with you and saying, I love you. I like you. Everything's going to be okay. Stop chasing that which you are not made for. You don't have to be scared of scarcity. I have and own everything. You're not going to lose out to someone else that'll get better things and own more. You're all my children. So Jesus, I take communion in your presence. I'm convinced of your love because of what you did for me on that cross at Calvary. And it's your fire, your love that burns up an inch any bit of guilt or shame or condemnation that I carry in me. Father, cleanse me of worry and anxiety and nervous future pressure. And Father, just help me take my burden, Lord. Take my weariness, my tiredness. I acknowledge today that my life is not in rhythm. I'm chasing things I've not made for. I submit to you. And I take communion as a mark of honor and of remembrance in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You can take it as your time. The team will lead us in song. Bless you.
Thank you for joining us today. If you were encouraged by the message and would like to hear more sermons like this, make sure you hit subscribe. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. To experience other messages, videos, and live services, head to aranahills.church and navigate to the resources tab. Thanks for listening.